If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30. We're going to look at just one verse of God's holy word today. Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30. It's also on your screens. This is what the word of God says. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you needing your help each and every moment of our lives. And Lord, you have given us the gift of your son and Lord, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is better that I would go away so that I can send a comforter to you, the Holy Spirit, who will dwell in your hearts. So Lord, we want to know who the Holy Spirit is and we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Keep us from, from grieving your spirit. Instead, keep us in step with your spirit. And we pray that that same spirit would be with us now and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a journalist uh, who is an adventure journalist, climbs mountains and so forth. His name is Mark Jenkins. And Mark Jenkins says this. He says, mountains don't kill people. People kill people. And uh, specifically, Mark Jenkins, um, I read an article where he talks about this thing called summit fever. It's particularly something that happens uh, when people climb Mount Everest. If you think about Mount Everest, it is, right? It's the pinnacle, it's the top, it's the mountain everybody wants to climb. And uh, Mark Jenkins says, the high, um, Most, 98% of the people who climb Everest shouldn't climb it, he says. He says the highest some of them have ever been is a skyscraper. And and so what happens is this. Clients come, and I looked this up. If you're looking into climbing Mount Everest, it'll currently cost you something. The low end is 45,000. If you want all the bells and whistles when you climb Everest, it'll cost you maybe 80 to 100. And so if you think about it, if you're, if you're a client and you want to climb Mount Everest, this is something that you have saved for. This is your dream. And you want to be one of those few people, I think it's around maybe three or 4,000 people who can say, I have summited the highest peak in the entire world. Summit fever is when the Sherpa says, we should turn around. And a climber says, I, I'm not, I don't want to turn around, or I'm not going to turn around. I'm going to climb to the top of this mountain. And what a Sherpa knows is that really what matters is not if you have enough energy to make it to the summit. What really matters is, are you going to have enough energy to get down to the summit, to get down to your base camp? Uh, We don't know the exact number, but something like around 300 people have died climbing Everest between 1924 and 2015. And a large number of those people have died on the way down. 
I think oftentimes in the Christian life, we try to live our Christian lives in our own strength. When God says, I have given you a power that you need if you are going to live this Christian life. And that power is the Holy Spirit that God has given us, that God has promised us, and that he gives to all of his children. God has said to us, I don't want you to live or try to live your Christian life in your own strength, but rather I want you to be filled with my spirit whom I have given all of my children. So this morning, we're going to look at this verse that the Apostle Paul gives us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Three questions from our text we're going to answer. First of all, who? Who is the Holy Spirit? Secondly, how? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? And thirdly, why? Why should we care? Why should we care if we grieve the Holy Spirit? What, what difference does this really make in our Christian life if we grieve the Spirit? First of all, who? A, a little bit of a background on who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit's described in a, in a lot of different ways in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is rock, which means wind or breath. In the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma. And the Spirit is described as the power of God. It's, God, it's God's unstoppable force, His powerful presence among His people to accomplish His purposes. That's who the Holy Spirit is. We see this from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. Here's who the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament. I have some verses up on the screen. Um, we see all the way back in the very first two verses of the Bible, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. All the scholars agree, that's the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is God's creative power to, to shape creation. The Spirit comes on people individually. In 1 Samuel 11, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully on him and he burned with anger. And also we have this promise. We have this promise in the Old Testament that when Jesus comes, the Spirit will come in a new and fuller measure than in the Old Testament. We have this promise in Ezekiel 36 and also in Jeremiah 31. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the Holy Spirit is present in the Old Testament. It's God's creative power, His force. It comes upon people, but then there's this greater promise that for the New Testament people of God, for the church today, there will be a greater filling of the Spirit. Jesus promised this in the book of Acts. We also see this in the, um, in the Great Commission. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was the promise that Jesus gave his disciples. And that promise came to fruition at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, and Acts 2.4 says this about Pentecost, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And finally, one last verse as we learn about the Spirit and the Spirit's role in the Bible. There's a verse in Romans, I think every Christian should know this verse, Romans 8.9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
So if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, look, I, I would say I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, that's who I am. That's my identity. I've given my life to Christ. Well, then the Bible says, by definition, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit. And so if we have the Spirit, it behooves us to know who the Spirit is and what His role is in our lives. So what's the Spirit's role in salvation? Well, we see this pattern throughout the Bible. The Father sends the Spirit or sends the Son. The Son saves us through His work on the cross and the Spirit applies the work of Christ. So it's very clear in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of every believer. And Jesus himself said this in John 16. He said, I'm going to go away, but one is going to come after me who will guide you into truth, who will glorify me. And so as we think about the Holy Spirit, we can think about the Spirit as something like a spotlight. The Holy Spirit's job is to not to draw attention to himself, but rather to draw attention to Jesus, who is the Savior of our souls. So that's a little bit of a quick overview of who the Holy Spirit is. But now to get into the, to the really uh, important question of how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, here's the first way that we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Spirit when we neglect our relationship to God. Okay? We grieve the Spirit when we neglect our relationship to God. Church, Is your relationship with God the most important relationship in your life? The most important relationship. Not the second most important relationship, not the third most important relationship, but the most important relationship in your life. Another way to put it is priority. Is God and, and living for Him and glorifying Him and following Him, is that the highest priority in your life? Or is it a secondary priority in life? Maybe behind other good priorities, but it's still second. So maybe it's behind career or parenting or success or money or something like that. The question is, is God number one in our lives? You know, we use this word grief. And typically when we use the word grief, we think about grieving a loved one or something like that. But the word grief can also mean to cause to suffer. And as, as all of us know, who are the people that we hurt the most? The people that we hurt the most are the people that we love the most, the people that we're in relationship with. So to grieve is to cause the su- to suffer. And the Spirit is grieved when we neglect God, when we neglect our relationship with Him, Because the Spirit is in us to make us holy. I love this quote by this pastor named Robert Murray McShane. He says this, There's a holy friendship that subsists between the Holy Spirit and the believer's soul. Do you know this? We sing this. There's an old hymn that says, What a friend we have in Jesus. I don't know if you know it. um, But but we sing this hymn, and, and maybe we just think it's a metaphor. But God is our friend. He is also our Savior, our Lord, are all in all, but he is our friend. And there is a holy friendship that exists between the Holy Spirit and the believer's soul. Think about any relationship that you have. Any relationship that's really important to you is a relationship that you're always working on, that you're constantly cultivating, that you're saying, I I need to 
to strive to love this other person well. And some, all of us, I would think, have relationships that we've let slip, right? Have you ever had the experience you're on Facebook or you're on social media or something and you say, oh, wow, that's somebody I used to know in high school or that's somebody I used to know in college. And maybe you think, uh, you know, I would love to get in touch with that person. I'd love to rekindle that relationship. I would love to, um, you know, hang out with that person. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to call them, text them, email them, Snapchat them, whatever else. And you're going to say, hey, um, I want to I want to get out. Let's let's reconnect. Let's restore our relationship. So it is with God. You need to reconnect with God. When was the last time you spent a half hour on your knees with the Lord? Just just you and the Lord, nobody else. It's harder than than we think it is, isn't it? I mean, it's incredible how quick a 30-minute TV show goes by, but 30 minutes on our knees before the Lord, picking up our Bible, reading our Bible. We grieve the Spirit when we neglect our relationship with God. Church, this will never um, get old because God made us to know him. He made us to be in relationship with him. That's, that's why we exist, to glorify his name through knowing him. And so if God is not our highest relationship, something will always be out of whack in our lives. Something will never be right because we were made to know God. Well, first of all, we grieve the spirit when we neglect our relationship with God. Secondly, we, we grieve the spirit when sin continues its progression in our lives without repentance, okay? In other words, when sin takes root and it starts to progress and we don't repent of that sin. I was reading Christianity Today and um, I came across an article about a a UFC fighter and that's usually not what you read in Christianity Today, so I thought, okay, why don't I check this out and read about this guy? It was about a guy named Justin Wren. And uh, Justin Wren was bullied as a young uh, guy, as a teenager, as a kid. And eventually, though, he found wrestling. And wrestling was his passion. That became really his identity. Uh, and he became a very, very good wrestler. He became a state champion. Then he became a national champion. And eventually, he was training at the U.S. Olympic a facility to become an Olympic wrestler. And while he was training, a fluke accident happened and he broke his arm and his Olympic dreams were just dashed in a, in a heartbeat, in a second. And uh, he had a really long rehab. And during his rehab, Justin Wren became addicted to painkillers. And he says this, he said, the drugs doled not only my physical pain, but also the emotional pain and the depression that had tormented me since elementary school. Well, he eventually heals. His arm heals from that um, terrible break. And uh, through uh, random circumstances of events, he decides to try out MMA, right? Mixed martial arts, all right? And um, I didn't know this, but apparently former wrestlers are good at MMA. So if you're a wrestler and you're looking to, you know, let out some aggression... um, (laughs) That's an option or prayer, um, but probably the better one. But uh, Justin Wren um, got involved with MMA and UFC and, and actually became a 
pretty successful fighter. He actually was given a contract with UFC, and which is, you know, I guess the height of, of that kind of fighting. And he says this, he says, as my popularity in MMA grew, the community grew, I got sucked into the fighting lifestyle. Everyone added, everyone wanted to party. I added cocaine and alcohol to my already out of control narcotics addiction. So I reached the top, but he's, he's addicted to drugs and alcohol. And eventually everything fell apart. He lost his UFC contract. Um, he lost his money. And Justin was at rock bottom. And actually, a Christian guy reached out to him and said, will you come on a men's retreat? All right. And Justin Wren thought, I got nothing to lose at this point. And he went on a men's retreat and he heard the gospel and he gave his life to Jesus. And now he's a Christian. And now he has an amazing ministry where he is a speaker and a missionary. And God's done amazing things in his life. But I bring it up to say that nobody plans on in ending up at that place that Justin Wren found himself, addicted to drugs and painkillers and so forth and all these various things. But we grieve the Spirit when a sin takes root in our lives and instead of turning from the sin, we allow it to progress in our lives. That's why men, we all know this, right? Um, oftentimes, I've heard Tim Keller say this, don't take the second look, Right? So you're tempted to, to, uh, you know, to, to sin with your mind. Don't take the second look. So sin progresses in our life. And there's, uh, I think we have the progression of sin with our next slide. Here's how sin often works in our lives. First, we listen or we see. Then we dwell. Then we believe. Then we act. And then we deny or justify. Here's how, here's how the progression of sin often works. First, you listen or you look, or you become aware of a sin in your life, here comes temptation. And the temptation is there. And this is the moment where God desires that we would turn away and say, I'm not going to move any further because temptation's present. And I know what God wants me to do. He doesn't want me to flirt around or, or uh, show how strong I am with temptation. He wants me to remove myself from temptation. But what so often happens in our lives is that we start to think or to dwell about the sin. And we think that would be nice. And then, and a lot of times this happens, by the way, instantaneously, right? When we, 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 don't, we don't think through this process, but then we believe the lie the sin is telling us. And we think, you know what? This is what I need. This is what I need. Maybe we even think, you know what? I deserve this. I deserve to take out my anger on my children because they don't obey me. Or I deserve to cut corners at my work because, because my, my boss is terrible and my, my office is run, to, you know, whatever. And we think we believe the lie. Then we commit the sin and we think this is worth it. And finally, we deny or we justify the sin. I deserve this. Who are you to tell me to not do this? We grieve the spirit when sin continues its progression in our lives without repentance. Family of God, when there's sin in our lives, God wants us to turn from it and to repent and to not let it take hold and to not let it progress because sin will keep progressing to a more and more destructive end. Well, there's a third way that we grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit when we claim the Spirit's leading in our lives 
God told me, God told me this, God told me that, without asking ourselves these questions. What does the Bible have to say about this? Maybe you have a big decision in your life and, and you're convinced that you know what God's will is for you in that big decision. And you just say, and someone, and someone says to you, well, why, uh, how do you know for sure that that's God's will? And you say, well, God just told me. I say, okay, he may have told you. I don't know, I'm not God. But have you asked yourself these, have you, have you asked these questions? Have you said, what does the Bible say about this matter? Does, does scripture speak to this? Secondly, have I sought godly counsel? Have I gone to other people and said, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about maybe, maybe relocating or something like that. But, you know, there's, but here's the trade-offs. Here's what's going to happen here. Here's what's going to, what's your wisdom? What's your counsel? Instead of it just being a direct, you know, hey, this is what God directly told me. And finally, and I think too often, we go to God told me this without really honestly praying about something without really committing it to prayer and saying, you know, maybe I have a big decision in my life, but I'm going to pray about it for the next month. I'm really going to pray on it because we grieve the Spirit when we claim the Spirit's leading, but we haven't truly gone and discerned, is this really the Holy Spirit's leading in my life or is this just how I'm feeling about this one particular matter? Why does grieving the Spirit matter? Why does this matter? Let me give you a few reasons why grieving the Spirit matters. First of all, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we are not living the Christian life in the fullness of all that God designed it to be. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Um, you know, we could go through patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We, we're not living the Christian life in the fullness of what God wants for us when we're not living in the Spirit's power because we're living in our own strength. And God, God has come to save us from our sin, but He's also come to give us joy and to give us life. And so when we're not living in the Spirit's uh, strength, we don't have His power, we're living in our own strength. Secondly, you want to have peace with God. Um, I'll tell you this, a, a real litmus test for whether or not um, you really know the Lord is this question. When somebody really knows the Lord, if there is an ongoing sin in their life, they are not going to let that continue forever. Eventually, God is going to come and, and, and get a hold of you and you're going to say, I, I just got to stop this. I can't do it anymore. You know, sin may, the progression may go to the very end, but eventually the Christian will say, I am not going to tolerate this sin in my life anymore. And that's why a great label for the Holy Spirit, it's not a, it's not a, a pejorative or, or some kind of making fun of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been called the heavenly hound, all right? Because, a heaven, because it's a, the Spirit is the heavenly hound that will track you and me down and say, it's time to repent of this sin. Um, the Desch family just got a dog. And that's really just a prayer request, okay? That's, that's not about the heavenly hound, but I'm learning a little bit about hounds and uh, they are persistent. So, but, but God will pursue you. He's not gonna let you, if you're really his, he's not gonna let you keep going with that sin. 
because that's not consistent with what he's done in your life. He's not going to let you say, well, all these other areas of your life are okay, but that other area is, you know, you can do what you want in that. Finally, it's inconsistent with our destiny. We've been sealed for the day of redemption. You know, the day of redemption in the Bible means the final day. It's the judgment day. And it's inconsistent to live a Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit because one day we're headed to a destiny where God will be all in all. We're headed to a place where we will be completely filled. What will that day be like, church, where we're, we're completely filled with the Spirit, where we know that power every moment of our existence? That's our destiny. So to grieve the Spirit now is, is inconsistent. Two final words to close us out. First of all, a word to the hardened and a word to the tender. And I don't have a word if you're in between, okay? But I got a word to the hardened and a word to the tender. Because so often I think we vacillate between these two extremes in the Christian life. We vacillate between all kinds of uh, ends of the spectrum. But some, but to the hardened, let me say this. And by hardened, I mean those of you who may be hardened um, with your sin. And by the way, when we think about sin, we shouldn't just think about kind of those... Um, TMZ sins or kind of the, you know, the big sins. But uh, there's, a, there's a great book out there. It's called Respectable Sins. It's by an author named Jerry Bridges. And um, sometimes we're just comfortable doing our thing. It may not be a, a really, um, you know, bold sin. But to the hardened God, the Spirit says this, wake up, wake up. Go and sin no more, John 8, 11. Repent, make amends, heal relationships, Live for God, but wake up. Let this be an opportunity for the spirit who's in your life because you know Jesus to say, you know what? It's time I dealt with that thing, that kind of that thing that I know about. Maybe maybe nobody else or maybe a few other people. I'm going to deal with that because I want every part of my life to honor God. And then for those of you who are uh, have a tender heart, and I know there are many like this. There are many who who you're, you're maybe prone to always dwell on your sin. You're prone to always feel like I'm never good enough and we're coming to the table in a few minutes. And the table, by the way, is not for perfect people because there aren't any perfect people. But for those of you with a tender heart, God says, cheer up. The Spirit says, cheer up. The very concern that you have about your sin is strong evidence of the Spirit's work in your heart. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we, we know that we have the Spirit. We know that we're sinners and we need God's help. There's a hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. It has this um, stanza in it. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upwards I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Ultimately, that's what we say. Jesus has paid for our sin. And when I am tempted to despair, I am reminded that I have been saved, I have been set apart, and I have been given the Holy Spirit, the power of God to make me more like Jesus. And I'll tell you, especially if you've known the Lord for a little while, sometimes you don't, you don't even feel like you've grown, but you've grown. You're not the same person you were 10 years ago. You really have grown. But it doesn't always feel that way. And so God wants to say to you, 
upward, look up, look up and see Jesus who's made an end to your sin. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not grieve your spirit, Lord, but to keep in step with the spirit, to be filled with the spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.